0: Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Hello fans of takeaways, get ready. It's another NAOP Southern Nevada program recap. NAOP is the Association for the Commercial Real Estate Development Industry. On the third Thursday of every month, that's when the breakfast program happens. The June program was so timely, so relevant. The topic was inflation and rising interest rates. What is the impact to CRE investment sales? Who do we have on the panel? Well, I'll tell you. There was Peter Bauman, who is Senior Director of Office and Industrial at IPA. It's Institutional Property Advisors, which is a division of Marcus and Millichap. He flew in from Phoenix. He does a lot of work here in Southern Nevada. We had Sean Muthart. I hope I said your last name right. He's Senior Vice President with CBRE. Uh, He's in the Debt and Structured Finance. So he's uh, basically a mortgage broker. He flew in from Newport. Also, they do a lot of work here in Southern Nevada with Bobby Barra, who unfortunately could not be with us. He had some COVID issues he was handling, but what a gentleman, made sure that Sean was teed up and ready to go. All the way from Summerlin was Adam Malin. He's a partner at Logic Commercial. Uh, Adam is a retail product type specialist, incredibly active with retail investment sales. And our moderator, I don't know where you're from, sir, Javier Wasiak. He's senior vice president with Jones Lang LaSalle. He was our moderator, but also augmented the industrial discussion. So office, industrial, retail, debt, and equity, uh, we had it all. They talked about, um, well, I'm not going to tell you what they talked about. I'm going to tell you that the program sponsor was Envy Energy. And the reason I'm not going to tell you what they talked about is because you're going to hear it right now. I'm going to go away. They're going to come on. Enjoy
1: and thank you uh, for allowing me to come up here and moderate this panel it's uh, it's an interesting subject it's a timely subject obviously we've had recent interest rate hikes and uh, we're all wondering how that's going to affect us and uh, I'm lucky that I have such a great panel to have that conversation with and I'll bring them up, I can tell you that the subject is a little bit of a a heady subject. So we had our call to kind of go over what we were going to talk today. And I admit, uh, with these panelists, they're all at the top of their game, very smart people. Uh, A lot of the conversation, or some of it at the very least, went a little bit over my head. I felt like my furniture looked last weekend, my patio furniture, right? Mm If I have to explain the joke, the wind, remember it was really bad. Yeah, so uh, uh, so today we're gonna to talk about inflation and rising interest rates and what the impact of that is on commercial uh, real estate investment and sales. Uh, so to help me with that, we have uh, Peter Baumann, uh, who is a senior director of Institutional Property Advisors, a select division of capital markets experts at Marcus and Millichap that specializes in the sale, purchase, and recapitalization of industrial medical office and retail properties throughout the United States. Peter and his team are focused primarily in the Southwest, though are experts throughout the country. Prior to IPA, he was consistently a top producer for both JLL and Collier's. He also holds his real estate license in both Arizona and Nevada. So Peter, if you can, please come on up. Since I'm getting you uh, one at a time, I'll also ask you, uh, Peter, as you're sitting down, um, you know, as brokers, we spend a good portion of our days transacting, of course. And among other things, we also spend a good portion of our days talking to our clients, listening, educating, sometimes being educated. Uh, Lately, how are you spending most of your day?
2: Thank you, Javier. Can you guys all hear me? All right. So, I, I mean... <clears throat> a little bit about myself, my team. Um, institutional Property Advisors, you may or may not know, is a division of Marks & Milchap. Marks & is a publicly traded company. Across the United States and Canada, we've got over 80 offices in the US, 2,000 agents. What Institutional Property Advisors does for Marks & Milchap, it blends the institutional capital with the private capital sector. So on a daily basis, what we're doing is we're talking with institutions and, and private capital clients and and educating them on specific markets across the Southwest, what those economic fundamentals are, why they should be placing capital there, and how to extract and monetize value for office and industrial properties.
1: Excellent. Um, Our second guest, our second panelist, uh, Adam Malin. Adam Malin is a partner at Logic Commercial Real Estate and offers over 17 years of commercial real estate experience. His focus at Logic is developing and maintaining relationships with private and institutional buyers and sellers on a national scale. Adam's unique strategies and long-term vision have helped investors gain access to unique opportunities, establishing record-setting cap rates, and helping shape the retail landscape in Las Vegas. So please, Adam, if you don't mind coming up. And Adam, um, for you, welcome. I don't know, you guys know who I am, right? Let's put this out here. Um, So our market, obviously, very competitive. Uh, uh, That competitive helps drive us be better, sharpen our skills. Um Lately, with some of the turmoil that we've had and maybe just the added activity that we've had, what are some of the new or a new tool you've put in your toolkit to help you do what you do?
3: hi uh, uh, thanks for having me this morning. Hope everybody can hear me okay
1: uh, you know as far as a new
3: tool in the in the in the toolkit, uh, you know I, I think more than ever we have national and international, uh, even institutional capital looking at Las Vegas. So I think a a new tool in the toolkit for the last several years in the cycle has really been leveraging out of market for inbound investors. Uh, You know, we've got a strong stable of of high net worth investors locally that that have always uh, been active, but I think, you know, something new in in the last years of this cycle has just been the, the growing up of our market and the you know, lack of it being some tertiary market that only the risk uh, on investors will look at. You know, we're, we're, we've grown up to where, you know, real institutional capital is looking at us. And so I think part of the tools in your bag has to be accessing that. Right.
1: Thank you. Um, and, and lastly, Sean Moodhart, uh, who is currently a senior vice president at CBRE located in Newport Beach, Representing a range of clients from institutional real estate funds to local private capital investors, Sean and his team customize capital to maximize flexibility and return on investment. With expertise across the major asset classes and capital structures, Sean's team in concert with the CBRE Capital Markets Platform offer clients a full range of commercial real estate advisory capabilities. Sean, if you could please come on up. And Sean, as you're coming up, I'll ask you. Uh, I definitely got from our call yesterday that what you do goes pretty well beyond your bio. <laughs> um, how would you describe what you do?
4: Sure, appreciate it. Everybody hear me, okay? Um, so I'm part of a, a larger team. Uh, my partner, uh, uh, Bobby Barra, regretfully um, couldn't make it here, so I'm a a little bit of a last-minute pinch hit for him. He was really looking forward to this event. He resides here in, in Las Vegas. Um, we have two other partners, one in Phoenix, Bruce Francis, and uh, Doug Burrell up in Salt Lake City, um, uh, we're supported by a number of analysts and closers. Um, our full-time job is debt and equity advisory, uh, so what that means is we're arranging and securing financing for developers and investors across product, product type spectrum, really throughout the West, very heavy here in, um, in the Vegas and, and the markets that we reside in, but also representing investors across the country as, as they're um, looking to expand and grow their portfolios. That's a, uh, again across the product type spectrum and from a financing standpoint, construction, bridge financing, permanent financing um, across all capital sources. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of different types of uh, capital uh, that's available in the, in the debt space, ranging from the banks and credit unions, life insurance companies, um, CMBS uh, lenders, pension funds, etc. So we're active in that space and um, just by way of reference, our team closed in 2100 financings <clears throat> and that was done with uh, 68 unique capital sources. So. We do our best to try to keep a pulse on, on the market um, year in, year out.
1: Yeah, I, one of the things I really enjoyed about the conversation we had yesterday and I think you'll enjoy about the panel is that we've really collected a group of people to take this issue on in a number of different aspects and from different perspectives. So, uh, uh, so let's go ahead and dig in. Uh, yesterday, as you know, the Federal Reserve raised its interest rate by 0.75%, its largest rate increase in a single meeting in almost 30 years, uh, this after an initial rate increase of 0.25% in March and another of 0.50% in May. Uh, of course, the Federal Reserve does this uh, in an attempt to address rising inflation, uh, which stated in May as being about 8.6%, which is at 40-year highs, increased uh, It increases interest rates, of course, in an effort to try and slow that inflation down. Uh, It costs more for you and I to borrow money and do things. It costs more for businesses uh, to borrow money to do things, expand, grow, purchase real estate. And it also uh, costs more money for investors, um, uh, for them to borrow money and purchase commercial real estate, uh, which in the last 12 months, in industrial anyway, Uh, Over 11 million square feet of product have been sold, over $2 billion in transactions at an average cost of about $184 a square foot, and that's uh, a rising number. So if we look at the 12 months prior to that, that's about a 30% increase uh, in the average per square foot cost, and if you look at the 12 months prior to that, it's about a 56% increase. So uh, obviously kind of a rising Uh, a rising number Uh, and if we were to look at you know how that's quantified from a total square foot perspective or from a total transactional value perspective uh, those numbers would be a little misleading just because uh, it's really been bounded by available supply uh, not demand and I think that the panelists here would will attest to that Uh, so from an investment perspective Las Vegas seems to be on fire. So to get started, Peter, I'll I'll begin with you. Because of these interest rate hikes, is the commercial real estate investment market in Southern Nevada over as we know it?
2: (laughs) I think over is a strong word. Um, No, so Las Vegas uh, through this cycle has really grown up. Uh, The economy here is completely diversified from what what it once was before. You, you continue to have inbound migration of new residents on the order of 2 280 people daily. I, I see similar comparables to Phoenix. We have 350 people moving there daily. And the Sunbelt states have been the beneficiary of capital placements from institutions, private capital money through the pandemic. And I see no no slowdown in the commercial sector here in the Las Vegas market or across the southwest region there may be some softening in this this interim as interest rates rise but it's just a cost of capital it's a mathematical equation that we're working with here so as as the the borrowing costs go up right we still have strong tenant demand in the markets your tenant improvement dollars go up for office renovations which means your rents are going to go up so everything kind of rises together in my opinion um are 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 the days gone of getting you know five caps and four caps and three caps maybe that's just a function of what that opportunity is and how quick you can get the rents and set rents back to market so i'm very bullish on southwest nevada or southern nevada and the las vegas market and you're going to continue to see spillover capital and migration from the west coast is those um, states have different uh, political fundamentals and, you know, it's higher taxation, you know, anti-business. I, I think to truly see a, a a real slowdown to what's happened in the, the southwest markets as a whole in the mountain states, you're going to have to see a complete political shift happen to where these these municipalities and these states in this whole entire region is anti-development, anti-growth, and that can happen through new residents coming in. But that's that's a slow that's a slow event. That's not an overnight e-break event. What's different now is that that you're you're still able to borrow money. We're not in a situation where where it's complete capital constraint, and so. That that scares me more because that's what happened in 2008. This is a different this is a different event. We need we need to raise interest rates. We've been in this, you know, hyper low interest rate environment for a decade now. And you know, people are freaking out that the 10-year treasury is at 3.4 percent. Well, we all forget, we're all short-sighted. In 2018, in November, we we're we we're banging at three and a quarter percent. And nobody was talking about softening. Cap rates were sliding still on all product types across all sectors, especially in the Southwest. Yeah.
1: uh, One of the things you said, uh, which I know rings true and very much in industrial anyway, is that the fundamentals are still really strong. I mean, all of us are keenly aware uh, and trying to keep our eye out for signs that things are shifting. And so far, we have very little, if not nothing, to to point at to, to tell us that you know our economy uh, our demand, our drivers have shifted at all, and i'll open that to the rest of the panelists too to to talk about you know your perceptions you know in that question about how our commercial real estate investment market is doing
3: you know, i'll jump on that for a second I mean I, I, I echo what what Peter said I, I think that the demand drivers for our market and the Southwest in general aren't changing, or you know, the the interest rate climate isn't isn't a dem- isn't a direct impact on those demand drivers. I think they'll continue. I think we have you know catalysts locally that'll continue to happen throughout what I feel is going to be more of a more of a price discovery period than a market crash or a market halt. To Peter's point, and as Sean can attest, I mean there, there's. Capital is out there. Uh, the cost of capital is, is adjusting, and buyers and sellers will need to calibrate to that as well. But demand, as we sit today, is, is remains very strong. You know, we have a lot of assets on the market, ranging from you know the three to five million dollar low cap rate single tenant deals up to you know seventy, hundred million dollar multi tenant deals, and there's active buyers for all of those. Uh, Are there as many active buyers at the cap rate sellers want them today versus three months ago or six months ago? The answer is no. Uh, And I think that's because you've got a a portion of the participants that are are truly in a a price discovery mode. If you're not an exchange buyer with, with a trigger or a fund that's raised capital for a specific purpose and you don't need to buy today. Then you're you're on a, a little bit of a price discovery look and see, and so I just think that that has taken a little bit of the volume out of the market, and therefore you know it, it feels slightly different today. But uh, that being said, we're transacting at, at a strong clip, and we haven't seen much of a move in cap rates uh, despite the shift in, in interest rates over the last several months.
1: And, and Adam, I'll follow up with you a little bit. So. We know that, um, you know, obviously, I mean, industrial's been a bit of a sweetheart for the last few years, and and we all understand why that's the case. Uh, But uh, I think in the last 12 months, we've seen an uptick in in investment activity in retail, of course, a lot of multifamily, uh, hotel as well. Uh, Have you seen that? Uh, and, And, you know, speak maybe to some of the drivers in retail and what you do specifically as to why that's happening.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the the demand for retail in Las Vegas has has been all time for the last couple of years. I, I think that you know the the boom bust, you know maybe stigma of Las Vegas has worn a little bit. I think that the the type of migration that we're seeing has has really directly impacted retail sales and retail growth. And I think investors are eyeing that as well. Uh, and as I said, you know, opening. I just think our market in general has taken on new legs and has become a little bit more of an institutional market. Um, the type of capital we're seeing is different. The scope of the capital is different. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're out of maybe that period of time where everybody was really sticker shocked from the, the market events of 2007, 2008, 2009 in Las Vegas. Lenders are more comfortable with Las Vegas. Uh, so I just think across the board, our market has grown up and, and allowed a wider array
4: of capital to to look at it. John? Um, Yeah, I mean, our world's pretty exciting right now. Uh, I would say the good news, um, so I'm not the pessimist on the panel, but uh, I do live in the debt world. The good news is there's plenty of liquidity out there. Um, and As Adam had alluded to, it's just a function of where that price is. Um, Today we're seeing, to to kind of give some some frame of reference for for the audience. We started the year somewhere in the 165, 162, 10-year treasury yield to start um, on January 3rd. And today we're up to 340. Um, That's almost a 200 basis point increase. That's a very dramatic change. In my almost 20-year career, I haven't seen that dramatic of a change. Certainly not in that short of a a time period. and so it's going to be interesting. I think we're in a, at a point where um, when, you, when you see that much movement that quickly, especially um, from a, for those that are lenders out here, you may agree, there's a little bit of a wait-and-see approach. They tend to be more conservative just generally in nature. Um, and when you have that kind of rapid movement, um, there's a little bit of pause.
1: And, Sean, so, for my benefit, why does that matter? Why is an increased treasury rate... Yeah. I'll Matter.
4: Sure. Um, so I guess I'll give you a, a little bit of a case study. We were working on a, a $35 million loan, um, and we rate-locked with a life insurance company last week on Wednesday, close of business Wednesday. By the time the borrower uh, saw the market on Monday, um, we had risen 35 basis points on the 10-year treasury. And so that means they locked their rate three or four business days prior and um, had the advantage of. 2020 hindsight watching um, the market, 35 basis point increase equated on that loan over the term of the 10 year period that they're gonna hold that loan was $1.2 million in interest cost savings. Uh, that's just one loan, one borrower. Um, it's a, there's a tremendous <laughs> amount of um, increase uh, in terms of interest costs and that was just 35 basis points. Um, as I Back to my original point, we've seen almost a 200 basis point increase since the start of the year. So you can do the math. This stuff adds up pretty quickly and has a pretty dramatic effect on investors' returns. Um, And so that's where I'm, you know, back to, I think we're in this adjustment period. Cap rates haven't moved much. They're starting to move, it seems. Interest rates have, have moved a lot. And so something's got to give. Um, at some level, and I think we're all just in that kind of wait and see approach.
1: Yeah, one of the uh, so one of the reasons why I appreciate you being on this, this panel is you do get to see things from a very different perspective than than the rest of us. One of the things you said yesterday on the call that I thought was interesting is how you said that um, lenders seemed uh, fragmented, uh, so they're not all singing the the same tune, just like not all buyers are, but Uh, What did you mean by that?
4: That's right. Um, Yeah, we're seeing a lot of fragmentation in the market. One of our, you know, um, part of our process that that we pride ourselves on um, being at a large platform and having um, longstanding relationships with a variety of types of lenders is we go out far and wide and kind of take the the leave, no stone unturned uh, type approach for our clients. So we're going out to 50, 60, 70 lenders on a specific request um, in some, in some cases more um, depending on the deal and we're seeing um, bids and and pricing come back as dramatic as we've probably seen maybe 150 basis points um, in difference from the outlier bid to those that are not very competitive Um, and it's it's not the same lender every time Um, it's not the same capital source necessarily every time um, and this is, I guess, what keeps us in business um, because the market's constantly shifting. But because we're going through so much turmoil, uh, some lenders, um, you know, have a lower cost of capital to begin with, and and some may be behind pace to, in allocations for the year. Whatever re- there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, but there are some uh, those that are out, you know, outliers in today's market. Some of them are are just lagging behind what the broader market is, and we try to exploit that. Inefficiency um, for our, our clients' benefit.
1: Yeah, I. Um, so, you know, over, gosh, I want to say about two years ago, it seems on the industrial side again. Um, you know, we started hearing a lot about forward sale activity, and I'm I'm sure most of you know what that is. But for those of you that don't, the the short version of it is that investors, developers, you know, saw how tight the market was, lack of opportunities out there uh, to purchase, you know, Class A, specifically investment product, and said, okay, well, maybe we can get in front of these developers prior to them finishing their projects, maybe sometimes even prior to them um, starting their projects, and we'll make them an offer. We'll agree to purchase the property. We'll take up some of the lease-up risk, uh, and hope that maybe we can get ahead of some of these transactions and it became very popular uh, and it really drove pricing and boy it was working out with everyone I mean for everyone just kind of an example on a transaction we were involved with what surprised me about it is how far ahead of the game uh, the transaction started where you had somebody who was in a great land position but maybe it didn't have permits. Maybe they didn't even have their, enti- their uh, zoning in place uh, and was basically able to go out to the market, get a lot of activity, uh, got real frothy, great deal. They're going to make a ton of money off of it. The, the underwriting they did for lease rates wound up being by now 20 25% less than what market is. So uh, everybody did real well. Uh, I can tell you that today that forward activity has, boy, come to, <laughs> I won't say an absolute halt, but uh, it seems one segment of the investment market that's getting impacted the most. Uh, in addition to that, if you want to speak about that or other segments of the investment market, who's, who's more susceptible, what product types are maybe more susceptible to, the, to these interest rate hikes, uh, to anyone on the panel?
2: Well, it's a, it's a function of, of yield, right? So people don't want to be in a, a negative levered position or negative cash-on-cash cash return position when they're buying an investment property. So as we all know, industrial has become the limelight or the darling of the capital markets since the pandemic, with so many companies going direct to consumer through e-commerce and Vegas being a massive... Spillover market from the Inland Empire and Los Angeles, and continued growth in that sector. You know, it's, it, if you're financing a project and you're selling it at a four percent return, your interest rates at say a five and a half percent fixed over a period of time that that doesn't make sense to that borrowed investor. But you know, with what Adam was speaking to, there's still plenty of cash purchasers out there, private capital purchasers motivated purchasers through tax deferred exchanges that haven't they they don't need that borrowing today and they can hold that they've got different motivating factors that you you still will find those those opportunities out there there still will be those buyers but that's that's you know that comes with you know selecting the right team on the field that has access to that capital source that actually casts the wide net that can attract that capital to that opportunity what where I think the value in a rising interest rate environment, you look at office, office properties during the pandemic, nobody knew what was going on. You know, in Phoenix, it was like a two month halt. Vegas was probably fairly similar, maybe a little bit longer, but still the return to work is, has, has been a challenge, right? There's, there's some companies that have said we're not returning to the office. There's others that are in a, you know, kind of, you know, part-time office, part-time home, very flexible schedule, and then the the other issue is you get the millennial generation and the Gen Z generation that's that that the pendulum swung away from the employer demanding what what the workforce does to the workforce demanding what the employer do, right? And so, until that paradigm shifts, where there's such a labor shortage that you have you have employees saying i do not i will not take this job unless i have a flexible schedule where i can work from home three days a week right and so until that 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 swings back you're going to see this fluctuated environment in the office sector for a period of time now you put you put that that's you know more across the country you look at vegas right you have continued migration continued businesses coming in so you're not going to experience that as much but where i'm going with this is that Office properties have, have, have been not so in the limelight since the pandemic because of these occupancy, you know, I don't wanna call them issues, but items, right? Like office rents are still collected at, you know, 99 to 100% on assets. So whether the tenants occupying the space or not, they're still leasing the space. So the income's still coming in. So it's kind of like a false perception on an investment, right? It's, it's a math equation for somebody on the return profile. So you're seeing softening from the pandemic, you know, and post pandemic, still in the office sector. And so as, as interest rates go to 6%, you can buy office properties in the, you know, 7% interest or 7% cap rate to, you know, 9% cap rate or higher, not just in this market, but across the whole region. So that, you know, when you're looking at an industrial property as an investor saying, well, I can park my money here at a 5% return or I can go park my money over here at an, an, an 8% return and my borrowing cost is here, I, I think you're going to see more flight to capital to the opportunities that have just higher cap rates by a function of what the borrowing cost is.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like the the pause uh, that some are experiencing you know certainly there's uncertain uncertainty and that's uh driving that some but um you know where if any are, are you feeling that pause both from uh adam and and sean is it you know what are your sellers telling you
3: i mean sellers you know sellers in general have been you know punching above weight maybe is a way to put it but You know, I think the, the interest rate environment that we've been in for the last several years have, has has allowed values to, to increase commensurate with, with the low borrowing cost. And so I think from a general standpoint, you have sellers that have been at all time highs for the last several years that are, are generally slow to adjust, right? And then you've got buyers who haven't had much of a viable place in the conversation for a few years. You know, the market's been so hot that is, you know, as a buyer, if you were putting up too many objections or unwilling to pay the cap rates necessary, it was easy for a seller to move on to the next buyer. So I just think we're entering this this, this period of time where you've got buyers who have a more viable leg to the conversation these days, and they're happy to be able to voice that. And... You've got sellers who you know some of which were only sellers because the market had gotten so frothy for them that they thought, you know what I've got to get in and take some chips off the table so you know it'll be interesting to see if those sellers are still sellers as the market slides or if some properties come off the market and wait you know it's an interesting paradigm because a lot of these sellers will have debt that comes due in the next five years so you know yeah. who, who gets to to take that bullet in terms of, do I sell now at at the values that I can get or do I wait and deal with the debt market that I'll be in on refi in in the next period of time? So, you know, I think that it boils me back down to, we've entered a market where the transactions that are happening are the ones that are driven by, by a need on either side, whether it's a need for a seller or whether it's an exchange driven, or, you know, I call it hot money, but just, fund money that's been raised for a purpose that that needs to either find a home or go back to investors. You know, those are the transactions that I see happening more these days. And, and frankly, in, in my world with retail, you know, the the low cap rate single tenant deals are mainly cash. And they're coming from family exchange type money or that hot money that needs to find a home and, it, and it's typically generational money to where those buyers have, have had to be comfortable playing with the conditions on the field. They don't have the luxury of packing up their toys and going home and deciding to come play when it's sunny outside. So those transactions are happening and, and largely on the, the, the trophy, real class A retail, you've got a buyer pool who can adjust equity allocations and transact. You know Where I'm seeing the biggest pain on my side is everything in the middle that was happening largely because it was debt you know, helped, if you will. I mean, the, right. the, the, low cap, the low interest rates were helping both sides of those transactions. They were allowing sellers to overachieve and they were allowing buyers to push and get there and still maintain cash flows. So that middle of the market is where I'm seeing the most pain.
1: Yeah, I, so there's always going to be interest and activity on that class A side. Um, and even though you might have a reduced pool of buyers, you have buyers. Uh, everyone's just trying to figure out their own individual strategies. Correct. Have you guys seen
4: an increase in supply of listings for sellers that want to get out in front of this uncertainty that, you know, they've, they've clipped 80% IRR and they're like, Hey, now we're at 70, 75, 65, whatever it is. We still made a, you know, a killing on this deal. Let's get out now while we can before who knows what's coming.
3: We have, I mean, we've probably put a hundred million or more across three or four assets on the market in the last 30 days and. You know the conversation as in all those cases is this would have been a better move six months ago right, yeah, <laughs>
2: right. our VOV our, our broker opinion of value activity has never been higher we're yeah. we're valuating like 50 assets a week and educating people have been coming back to us where we've, we've given them valuations a quarter ago saying hey are these numbers still viable we're like well no they're not here's why and just showing how the capital cost adjustments affect what the values are of the the projects, but I also go back to like, is there true softening? The investment community as a whole has gotten so used to a wide spread mm-hmm. of of where their cost of capital was to where they're where they're issuing their money, and, and at some point, I think when you see these incremental events happen, like a fifty basis point rate hike, a seventy five basis point rate hike. The institutions move first, they immediately go pencils down or they go, they go softer on assets. Your private capital community is still going to be active. They've got a different mindset, a different business plan in place. And at some point that equilibrium manages itself out where people adjust to a lower spread from their cap rate to cost to capital. I mean, the tightest I've seen it in the last, you know, 20 years was back in 07. And we're still wide of that by a good 50 to 100 basis points. So people people forget at the spread level that they were once willing to agree to to where they are placing capital today.
1: Yeah, I, um, I'm uh, conscious of time, and that sucks because I feel like we just began our conversation, and just seems like we could keep going on this for a while. we talked about this before, and get a lot out of it. Um, Javier, we have we have
5: a little more time for your questions.
1: Okay. Uh, I I did want to ask you, so, you know, from what I understand, it's very likely the Fed could continue to raise interest rates, right, Uh, throughout at least the end of the year. So if you, as best you can, prognosticate what that looks like. How long are we, and I know it's all related to, they're trying to control inflation, which is a threat, of course, uh, but how long are we in this, is this period of increasing interest rates, and I know... You might have to get out of a comfort zone there, but uh, how long does it last?
2: Interest rates are going up. They're going to continue to go up until we combat inflation. We've been, you know, we've had free money for so long in our economy. What's interesting is that the economic fundamentals are still sound. So I don't know what equilibrium. I'm not an economist. I'm not going to act like an economist. But, I mean, the, the Fed funds rate benchmark has always been targeted around two and a half percent. Sean, I don't even believe we're there yet today. And, right, like, general borrowing costs, historically, if you look over a wider period, in my opinion, I think, you know, if the 10-year treasury is floating around four and a half or 5%, I think that's probably healthy for the United States. Right? What What's that translate into? You know, an interest rate. You know, there's different curves, and I'll let Sean talk more about that because he's he's the expert there. But you know, there's going to be a spread above whatever that is to what your interest rate is on your debt
3: placement. Yeah. Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, I, I think that you showed a really interesting slide on our call yesterday that just showed the. And, and forgive me, this is your world, but you know, it kind of showed the Fed rate normalizing mid twenty three or so. Uh, And to Peter's point, normalizing to historically probably a below average rate. And so, you know, I think that what crosses my mind is just how short of memories our markets generally have. You know, if you look at history or even the short view of history, the sky was falling in March of 20. Right. By March of 21, everybody had a whole different outlook and it was gas on. Right. Here we are in March or May of 20, you know, June of 22. And, you know, The clouds are starting to come around again. But to me, I feel like there's demand drivers for our market that aren't going away. The inbound migration is going to be a function of alternatives, and we're still going to be attractive as the boats rise, as as inflation raises everything for everybody. Uh, So in my opinion, I think things are going to normalize. Buyers and sellers are going to figure out that medium again, and the demand for our market isn't going anywhere. And I'd argue Vegas
2: is well-positioned in an inflationary environment because – it's going to cost even more money in California and Washington right. and other states, and people are going to come here for the lower, lower, you know, it's lifestyle, it's climate, right, economic base. I mean, the fundamentals here, you know, I find that people that reside in markets sometimes have too narrow of a view of their own market yeah. perception and what, what's happened in the past, and when you take a wider view and you look around you at what's going on in surrounding states and what... What property values are there? What's it cost to live there? And then you compare it to your market, it, I mean, Vegas is gonna to continue to be a beneficiary for a period of time. I see, I see the Las Vegas office and industrial market continuing for the next three to five year horizon before there's like a true kind of slowdown. And I don't, you know, I don't think cap rates are softening, I think cap rates are normalizing. Yeah. Javier,
5: on that yeah. subject, we have, somebody came in with the uh, Phoenix question for all of you we often get compared to phoenix contrast compared this and that um sometimes losing if you could each answer or give your opinion on us and phoenix in your respective markets um that was the question that came in Do you, do you say just what what is the difference in, or what do you see in your line of work the difference between vegas and phoenix
2: i see very similar fundamentals other than phoenix has a larger population base what what i like about phoenix from an investment strategy in play and what I t- Communicate to investors on a regular basis. That well, when I'm selling property here, I've got four assets in the market currently. What what I like about Vegas is that it is land constraint, right? Like this is an island in the desert. A lot of people don't realize that.
1: and yeah, we don't enjoy it as much. And, <laughs> but, and, yeah. and,
2: and 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 Phoenix, right? Phoenix, you. I mean, Phoenix can sprawl. A lot of people say, "Oh no, you've got this this mountain range or this or that," but. At the end of the day, Phoenix has plenty of land, which is a good thing and a bad thing. But right, the good thing is that you can continue to development, development and grow, and it keeps costs down. But the problem is, is that you're never going to get infill densification. Phoenix will always be a sprawling environment. I could see, I could see Las Vegas getting much more dense over the next 10-year, 20-year horizon because you are land constrained. Right? And that's going to benefit everybody in this room.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, go please go ahead,
3: yeah, Sean. No, no, on my side, I, I I would say the same. I mean, from what I'm seeing at, at a macro level, is that it, it feels like I see a lot of flight to development opportunities in Phoenix, and in Arizona. You know, the land market here has gotten so frothy, and what have you. So I've heard a lot of success stories about guys going to Phoenix and having a different world in terms of land availability and you know and opportunities to develop and at the same time i get a lot more inbound investors looking at vegas over phoenix or even phoenix investors coming to vegas so i think the the investment perception has always been maybe a longer runway and and bigger upside potential here in las vegas that may be shifting that may be changing but i do see a lot of development shifting to to the arizona market just maybe based on land availability and opportunity
2: yeah and I, I think there'll be a slowdown in that i mean land land values for industrial land development has gone bonkers just like here but to give you an idea something something that's like an infill piece that we have right now 24 acres you can't get to it for two and a half years it's you know 35 dollars a land square foot you know i mean that's that's a big number you got to underwrite some pretty hefty industrial rents to make that pencil. You know, there's there's another piece that traded at forty five dollars a land foot. Now, as you move further out west and you move into like frontier land out by Buckeye in the Phoenix market, where there's no utilities, no water, nothing, no resources pulled, that's trading around like three bucks a foot. But if you're if you're back in around like the ten and the three oh three loop, all that's going for. I mean, if you have if you can find a piece you know, name your price. It's, you know, 20 bucks a foot's getting turned down, 25 bucks a foot's getting turned down, so.
3: How big of a, like, what what was that two years ago or one year ago? I know here in Vegas, you could. Well,
2: so so what's crazy about Phoenix, and if you, I don't know what the numbers are here in Vegas for the industrial development specifically, but in, in Phoenix, prior to the pandemic, on average, there's, you know, 5 million to 10 million square feet of industrial product, right? in 2022 alone we're going to deliver over 40 million square feet of industrial property in phoenix alone and 90 percent of that will be pre-leased and so that is that is all growth spillover from the inland empire and 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 los angeles getting product out of the port of long beach and la no different than what's happening here with vegas right everyone's you guys are experiencing the same thing on the industrial front, and right is the the Inland Empire's industrial vacancy rate is sub one percent. There's no there's no space there, right? And then you come to Vegas, it's sub two percent. Phoenix, you're like sub two and a half percent, and all the available the majority of all the available developable land has been completely. It's it's the land run has happened right? Yeah. So the, the land gold rush happened from the pandemic to present. Now it's it'll be interesting to see what happens to that cycle.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll add that, you know, both markets have a really good story to tell. So as you guys know, you know, when we're pitching these projects, and we're talking with the numerous buyers who are chasing them, we're telling the story. And both markets have great stories to tell. They're just slightly different. Some of the drivers are, are different. It is true that because our uh, rent growth has been more aggressive, I would say, than it has been in Phoenix, we're probably gonna lose out on some occupiers. So some of our demand, you know, will lose to Phoenix uh, and probably, and then that's today and will that'll probably remain for a few years, what's but. The,
2: what's the, what's the, the drive time from Port of LA? Four and a half hours to uh, I mean, Not even. Like not even, right? So, so, yeah. so, so that, that, that's an advantage that the Vegas market has that Phoenix doesn't, right? On the furthest west side where the 303 loop is in the Phoenix metropolitan area, um, you know, coming out of the port to get there, that's that's a six and a half, seven hour drive. You know, for them to, to offload, turn around yeah. and get back in the federally regulated drive time, it's tight, right? And so I, I think that on the industrial front, Vegas will continue to remain in my opinion, a stronger investment market from a, from a capital like capital yeah. outlay perspective, and there's just if, less, I, if I was the investor, right? Yeah. And, and there's
1: just yeah. less opportunities here. Like, like you yeah. alluded to, you know, well, that's, Phoenix that's is two cross... and a half times, depending where you start yeah. counting but that, the size but that, of the that, that, that,
2: like That's if a we, trend. If we,
3: had land, would we have 40 million feet going up? Yes. Um, it,
1: would it would be an interesting problem no. yes, you to would, have. you'd have more, yeah. you'd,
2: you would, you would get more You would get more of those projects, Phoenix would lose because the drive time's shorter.
1: Yeah, I think, I think we would have to potentially cope more with the threat of overbuilding if we had. Because there's been so much demand, I think we'd have to really navigate that a little bit more.
2: But as it relates to capital markets, investor demand, that investor demand is still tremendous. There, there's been more capital and more funds and more people interested in commercial real estate as an asset class and way to make money than any other than any other you know securities and you all check your 401k account your stock market account like they just keep getting beat up and the more that that continues to happen the more capital that flows into real estate real estate will continue to be a great hedge on inflation and you know we're still supply limited there's not a ton of commercial product supply out in the market
5: sean if the deal's the same would your money rather be in Phoenix or Las Vegas? All else being equal.
4: Ooh, that's a Sean, you're in Las Vegas. That's a good question. What's that? <laughs> no. um, said, oh, yeah, <laughs> I guess Las Vegas. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, would, I would just add that both are you know, heavy growth markets, and given the increase in interest rates that we've been talking about, um, the topic, uh, if you're a borrower or lender, if you're in the market, uh, the the term negative leverage often comes up when your interest cost um, of debt capital is higher than your going in cap rate. Um, it's negative for a period of time. Um, given we haven't seen cap rate movement as, uh, as significant, not even close to what we've seen on the interest rate side of things, a lot more buyers are having to take on negative lev situation, at least going in. And when we're in a gr- heavy growth market like we are, uh, here in Vegas and, and in Phoenix, and you, you have a path, um, you're not locked into a fixed rent for any length of period of time, but you have a path, um, you can get after some roll or whatever it may be, some upside, um, you can get out of that negative leverage situation pretty quick and start to make your returns look, look pretty darn good, right? So I think given the current debt markets that may even make Vegas and Phoenix and other high growth markets look all that much more
5: attractive. And Adam, it's kind of the same question. What's the difference between a Dutch boys here or a Dutch boys in Phoenix or any triple net lease for cap, your clients?
3: Cap rate wise, we're fairly similar. We probably trend up to 25 basis points better on some of those deals. But give you an example, I'm closing a Dutch Brothers in town here tomorrow at a 3.9 cap. That same deal probably sells between a four and a four and a quarter in Phoenix.
2: I would say too that the the income tax free advantage of being in the state of nevada for those private capital players is huge yeah. phoenix doesn't i mean we have we have an in income tax so that's a that's a negative check mark
3: 100 <laughs> percent, especially with these these exchange investors going into those low cap rate deals i mean every every little bit helps and uh, i think that if the same deal was sitting in vegas and in phoenix the vegas deal would sell hands down faster
5: Javier, I think that's it from here. There's a little known fact that Javier and I went to St. Anne's Catholic grade school here in Las Vegas it's a couple, true. couple days ago.
1: It's true, and I, I, since you brought it up, man, I'm sorry, it's your fault. Uh, Dan's thing, which...
5: Oh, jeez, I didn't bring this up.
1: Yeah, all the, all, the, all the girls loved in grade school is he was one of those two polo shirt-wearing guys at the same time with, a, with the collars up. We all remember, right? Yeah, So that was Dan, yeah. Gonna need a picture Well, thank you very much.
5: (laughs) Javier, Peter, Adam, John, great job, great panel. I think we're leaving here with a little more knowledge than we came. Uh, Keith Jackson, NV Energy, thank you so much. And our next breakfast is July 21st, and that concludes today's program. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: it's fun. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaway's podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please, Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.